You'll find your text tonight in Matthew, Matthew chapter 19. Normally we've been studying the life of Joseph on Sunday nights, but of course for Bible Readers Sunday, we want to take a break and just emphasize the Bible. And I want to speak to you tonight about didn't you read it? Would you stand with me please? We'd like to stand out of respect to God's Word. You say, where do you get that idea? From the Bible. In Nehemiah chapter 8, one of the greatest revivals recorded in scriptural history, they stood and read the Bible together. So I want to read just two verses to you this evening, a little bit more of a different type message, more topical rather than expositional, but we need topical messages sometimes. And so look at verse 4, it says there, And he answered and said unto them, of course this is Jesus speaking, he said, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Aren't you thankful God doesn't waste His words? You know, I've read that before and thought, well, duh, why do you have to say He made them male and female? Well, apparently we were going to need this passage. And so he said there, didn't you read? Didn't you read in the Bible? If you mark things in the Scripture, mark that in verse 4. Have ye not read? That's what I'm, I'm asking you tonight. Didn't you read it? Jesus is looking at these people that had questions and He just makes the assumption that they had read the Bible. I think we can make that assumption tonight. Didn't you read the Bible? He wrote it. He penned it. He preserved it. He gave it to you. Didn't you read it? That's the question Jesus is asking us tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us, that you'd work in our hearts and our lives. Help us to be faithful to read what you have taken care to write. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, we have more access to Scripture than at any other point in human history. Uh, there was a 2014 study that found that 88% of Americans own a Bible. It is estimated that the average family has 4.7 Bibles in their home. That's the average American family. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that actually surprised me to hear that. But I want to go on with, with this and, and kind of make some application of that. Think about it. So again, 88% of Americans own a Bible, 4.7 Bibles in the average home, and with the invention of the iPhone, virtually every person on the planet has access to a Bible electronically. Now, again, I, uh, let me just pause for just a second. I, I still like, like you bringing a copy of the Bible like this to church. That, that's my preference. Now, don't get mad at me. I've had people get mad. If you right now have an iPhone or a phone and you're looking on your or you have a tablet, I'm not fussing at you. And I've had people fuss, well, I see it brighter and I can turn the text up higher. Okay, okay, settle down. I'm okay with that. I just still like this right here. I think there's something special about it and I like it. But I'm, I am saying I think it's pretty awesome. I have a copy of the scripture on my, my phone and sometimes it's what I've got while I'm waiting in an office area or something like that and I can pull it up and I can read. That's, that's good. But me personally, I still like to put my hands on it. I like to mark in it. I like to highlight in it. I, I still like having this. But I, my, my point is, is there's more access to the Bible than at any other time in human history. But here's my observation. It seems that after all of this access, our appetite for it has declined. So we have, our access has increased, but our appetite has declined. There's a more recent survey, uh, in, more recent than 2014, that reported 48% of Americans are completely disengaged from Bible reading. I almost think that's a generous number there. 9% say they interact with the Bible sporadically. And what this survey shows me is that the Bible has little to no impact on the lives of nearly 6 out of 10 
people in America. And I would believe that. Little to no impact. But I want you to see in our text tonight, again, the topical launching thought, Jesus expects for the Bible to impact our thinking. And therefore, he expects it to impact our lives. So here in Matthew chapter 19, just to give you a little bit of context, he has asked a difficult question. And he has asked, really, it was asked in an antagonistic spirit, in a confrontational manner, and it was asked about marriage and divorce. Uh, That that was the question that was asked. Now, that's still a hot-button topic today. I mean, you, you can get people riled up and upset in a hurry over that subject, and they ask Jesus about that subject. And Jesus immediately said, haven't you read? And notice this, he used the authority of Scripture to answer these controversies. Now that's interesting to me. I I don't know if you've paid attention to this or you've seen this. I know everybody's circle of influence is a little bit of difference. But, But Jesus used the authority of Scripture to answer the controversies. And recently on the on the internet, there was a clip from Andy Stanley preaching. And he basically said to his audience, his congregation, that using the authority of Scripture is not a good place to start, and he just kind of ridiculed the authority of the Bible. And to be honest with you, if you've been paying attention at all to Andy Stanley, that wouldn't surprise you in the least. And what what made me think, what, what my initial thought was, is I know young men who have followed after his pattern of, of ministry style, and, and it, to me it vindicates all of the old fuddy-duddies that were saying, don't listen to that guy, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing, and he has revealed himself to be so. Because he can say all he wants that authority of Scripture is a bad place to start, but that's exactly where Jesus started, and if that's where Jesus started, that's a good place for me to start. So in verse 4, Jesus just makes the assumption that they had read the Bible. So again, our goal should not be to merely read the Bible. I understand it should be to know the Bible, to understand it, to love it as God's holy word, His sufficient, as the choir sang, His sufficient word, His transforming word as our kids' choir sang about. That's our goal to do that. But, but my point that I'm making tonight, in order to know it, understand it, and love it, and be transformed by it, you have to read it. You have to read it. You might say, well, I I don't like reading. I want to give you that great quote. The man who does not read has no advantage over the man who cannot read. So maybe you know how to read, but if you don't read, you have no advantage over the man who is illiterate and cannot read. And so I say to you that even if reading is not your favorite thing to do, the Bible makes the assumption that his people are reading the book. You need to read. And I would say this to you, if you're one of those people who says, I don't really like to read. Well, listen, I liken it to jogging. I do not like to jog. I I want to take this opportunity. I know I've told you before, but I want to take the opportunity again. If you see me running on the side of the road, stop and pick me up. Somebody's chasing me. Something is wrong. Please pick me up. I I don't really care to run. I, I don't enjoy that. Uh, but, but I do know this, is the times that I have had made jogging and running a part of my life, it, it, it's something that you have to continue to do, and the more you do it, the longer you can go. And the same is true about reading, is you have to start, and that's why I like Club 365, is you may not be the kind of person that can sit down and digest 10 chapters of the Bible, but what you can do is start small and build your way up. And again, I say to you, if you're one of God's children, He is making the assumption that you are reading what he has written. 
So, here's the question tonight. Do I just throw the Bible open and start reading it? Listen, guys, if you are ever in a church service and the pastor goes like this, all right, I'm going to be preaching out of Psalm 60 tonight. Yeah, I'd get up and leave right there. I, I, would, I would. I would just go away. Well, is that what you do when you read the Bible? That's really not how we should be handling the Bible. And so let me just give you two words of advice for the Bible reader. Two words of advice for the Bible reader. Number one, you must prepare your reading. You must prepare your reading. Now, we would improve our Bible reading time by simply being more prepared. And so I want to give you a few tips on this, practical tips. Number one, carve out time. I'll be honest with you, one of the most aggravating excuses given for why people don't do the things they are supposed to do is they tell you they don't have time. But this is an opportunity for me to remind everybody sitting here tonight, we all have the same amount of time as anybody else. You're only given 24 hours in a day, you're only given, given so much time, and we all have the same amount of time. So it's almost insulting when somebody looks at you and just says, well, I just didn't have time. It, to me, it also makes an inference that, that I'm not busy, that I, you know, like, like it's just, I, I just find it aggravating if I can say that. See, because people do the things that are important to them. We find time. We make time. Let me, let me ask you a question. Now, I'm not, I'm not making this deal because I can't, but, but let me ask you a question. If I offered you a million dollars, if you read your Bible every day for the next year, would you do it? Because I know I would. I, I would not miss a day. I mean, I'd be on my deathbed like, bring me a Bible. I mean, I, I, I mean I'm telling you. And I, I guarantee you, you'd say, if it was a million dollar offer, if you didn't miss a single day, everybody in this room would be like, deal. Why? Because you find time and you make time to do what's really important to you. Again, I, I want to remind you, there will always be things fighting for your time. Always. So you have to be intentional. So you have to prepare for your Bible reading. You have to be intentional. Carve out time. Number two, find a quiet place. Jesus, in his teaching, called it a closet. You know, for you, it might literally be the closet. Man, there's a bunch of people in my house all the time. I have found my wife reading the Bible in the closet. Sometimes that's where you got to go. When I was in Bible college, you know where I would go and read my Bible? We had a bunch of guys living in a dorm. It wasn't the easiest place to read the Bible. And so what I would do is I'd go out to the laundry room. It'd be cold out there. It, it, it'd be bugs running around there, but that's where I could go to read the Bible. I have, I've, seen, I've seen some of my friends in the bathroom. I'd get, get up in the morning, go in the bathroom at 5.30 in the morning, and somebody would be in the stall there, not, not doing their business, but reading the Bible. This is the only place they could go to find some quiet time. Whatever you got to do. Some of you are, are uh, familiar with Susanna Wesley. She was the mother of John and Charles Wesley, and she had 10 kids. How many of you would agree with me tonight? 10 kids can keep you busy. Okay. And she made sure that she had quiet time. She would train her kids. And by the way, you can train your kids. Listen, if, if you can train a monkey to do things, you can train your kids. When I, grew, I grew up in Cincinnati. Now, don't tell me to score to the game. I'm recording that. I want to watch that later. When I was in Cincinnati, there was a guy in the area that owned a chimpanzee, and he, every once in a while he'd be in the news because he had taught that chimpanzee how to smoke cigars and drink beer. 
And somebody would call the police on him and it'd be a big thing. And every, every once in a while, every about, every about two years, you'd see that monkey smoking a cigar and cracking open a beer and drinking it. And somebody would be like, oh, you know, freaking out. Listen, if you can train, if you can train a, a, an elephant to stand on one leg and you can train a, a monkey to smoke a cigar, you can tell your kids to be quiet. And they listen to you. And let me just tell you, I know this is about Bible reading, not child rearing, but but there's this, there's this place on the, on the body that will train them. You just have to apply the training. So don't ask your kid, do you want a spanking? The answer is no. They don't, they don't want that. So you don't ask. You just say, you getting a spanking. I told you to be quiet. You weren't quiet. So Susanna, she, she trained her kids. Here's how she trained them. She wanted to have quiet time with the Lord. So what she would do is she would sit down at the kitchen table and she would pull her apron over her head. And if her kids ever saw a mom sitting at the table with her apron over her head, they knew she was reading the Bible and she was praying and leave her alone. That's pretty cool. The point I'm trying to say is whether it's under your apron, in your closet, in the laundry room, outside on the deck, wherever it is, Carve out some time and find a quiet place where you can spend some time with the Lord. Be prepared. How about this? Pray before you read. You know, much of our problem is not understanding the nature of the Bible. We, we understand what it is. Yes, it's a work of literature, so you need to use your brain. You know, as a kid, I liked to read Spider-Man comics. I liked Spider-Man. He was my favorite superhero, and I liked reading Spider-Man comics. Can I tell you something? The Bible is not a Spider-Man comic book. You have to engage your mind. And I know a lot of people say, well, it's just hard to understand. It's not impossible to understand. You have to turn your brain on. It is a little bit of an intellectual book. But I want you to say, I want you to understand, the Bible is no more technical than the Lord of the Rings trilogy. There are all kinds of people buying all kinds of books and reading them, and they act like the Bible is just, just, oh, I can't understand it. Let me tell you something. You can read those books. You can read this book. It's intellectual. But, but please understand, it's not exclusively an intellectual book. It's also a spiritual book. That's why you need to pray. Now, I'm kind of convicted about this one right here. I, I want to do a better job on this. I do pray when I read the Bible, but I want to do a better job praying when I read the Bible. Why? Because I was thinking about this. If you got home tonight, how, how many of you eat after church? You don't eat before church. You eat after church. Okay, so you want me to hurry up. I got you. All right, so, so when you go to sit down and eat a meal with your family, I mean, if everybody just, just started digging in, I mean, like, the food got on the table, and they just, I mean, like, ah, I mean, we would say, hey, wait a minute, we're not animals around here. We're not a bunch of pigs at a trough. We're a Christian family. We pray for, before we eat, right? And it's funny how we do this, right? We sit around the table, and we'll have greasy cheeseburgers and French fried potatoes and all kinds of things, and we'll say something like this, God bless this food, bless it to our bodies, right? Don't we do that? Now, because we're, 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 we're Christians, and so we pray before we, we consume our food. But how often do we consume the food of God's Word and just dig in like a bunch of animals? We, 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 we just, I mean, we just sit down, pop it open, and just turn to reading. I mean, instead of saying, God, speak to me, like, like, like we sang tonight, uh, speak, O Lord. 
and reveal things to me and teach me. I'm about to feast on your word and so pray. So here's some things we can pray about. Number one, pray for understanding. At the heart of the Bible, at reading the Bible, is the question, what does it say? There's a doctrine in the scripture called illumination. It's, It's when God turns the lights on in your mind. Listen, I love it when this happens. Now, I've been... I've been pastoring for 18 years, pastoring and preaching. You know, this past week I preached nine times in different places, different formats, nine times this past week. You know, even to this day, I don't have this all figured out. I sure don't. And what's interesting to me, the doctrine of illumination is sometimes when you come to a text that you've read dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times before, there are sometimes that I'll read it and go, I've never seen that before. I've never understood that before. <laughs> How many of you have ever had an aha moment on a text that you've read multiple times? I mean, you, had a, you know what that's called? That's called illumination. Now, sometimes we might say it this way. Well, God revealed this to me. No, 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 God already revealed it. It's been revealed from Genesis to Revelation. It was revealed a long time ago. But he illuminated it to you. It literally means he just turned the lights on. Ah, oh, light bulb, bing, hey. So why don't you pray for understanding? And by the way, just because you never saw it before doesn't mean it wasn't in there before. It's been there. You just hadn't seen it, and the Holy Spirit illuminated it to you. Number two, pray for wisdom. Wisdom is, yes, good decision-making. I like to say it's doing the right thing at the right time in the right way for the right reason, but we could also define it this way. It is the right application of knowledge, and we're going to talk more about application in just a moment. But, but that's what I want to pray for. God, give me wisdom. Help me to take the truth that I read and rightly apply it to my life. I don't want to just read it and learn facts so that I can win in Bible trivia. I want to know, what does this mean to, to my life? How can I live this? And then pray for change. That's what the Bible is great at. It changes our lives. Pray that the Lord will change us. You know that I like to golf. And one of the problems with recreational golfers is we drive up to the course and we jump out of our car and we grab our clubs and we run up to the tee box and we swing a club. Yeah, that's right, Brother Scott, that's what we do. I find myself all the time, man, I'm going to cram in a few holes after work and and man, I drive as fast as I can, legally, mind you, I drive as fast as I can and get to the golf course and I do, I run out there, I don't stretch, I don't warm up, I don't go to the driving range, I just get up and whack! And my shot shows you the result of that, Brother Scott. I mean, right into the woods. And I think sometimes that's what we do with the Bible. We just, we just rush right into it. All right, let's get this done. i got to fill out my Club 365. I'm going to get one of those certificates next year. I want to win that Bible. All right, here we go. No, prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. Number two, you must plan your reading. You must plan your reading. Again, some people just throw the Bible open and read whatever they land on. I would not recommend that. In fact, I'm trying to discourage that. Don't just flop your Bible open and say, well, today I'm going to read this. No, no, be very intentional about it. For years, I have been very intentional of reading through Genesis to Revelation. I want to say this to you, church. Listen, if you have never read God's Word from Genesis to Revelation in your Christian life, please make that your goal this year. I think every Christian ought to do that at least once in their life. Even those portions like Leviticus that we don't get all fired up about, places like Deuteronomy, if God cared enough to put it in there, we ought to care enough to read it at least once in our lifetime. So be very intentional. Um, I I have read my Bible cover to cover. Really, I've kind of lost count 
I try to keep a log of it. I probably read it somewhere around 35 times, cover to cover intentionally. Uh, and many, many other times in between. Me personally, I try to mix it up. You can start in Genesis and go all the way through. I've tried to read like two Old Testament books, one New Testament book. Sometimes I've read my Old Testament through once, my New Testament through twice, and do different things to try and mix it up. However God leads you to do it, mix it up. Don't get stagnant in it. I came across a Bible reading plan that I, very much intrigued me, and so I'm going to try it. It's a seven-year Bible plan. And in seven years, what I want to do is I want to read every New Testament book 30 times. And I want to read every Old Testament book 15 times. And I want to do them in succession. So if I start out in Galatians, I want to read Galatians 30 times before I move on to another one. Just read it over and over and over and over again. Because I want it to, I want it to saturate into my life. Just saturate into my life. I want to memorize some of it by, by just, just familiarity to, with it. I, I, I want to just go over it and over and over again. I, I, that's appealing to me. And I'm going to start trying that uh, this particular year. I mean, think about it. Do you want to learn joy in your life? Then why don't you spend a month reading Philippians 30 times? Do you want to understand the gospel? Then why don't you spend 30 days reading Galatians 30 times? Uh, do, do you want to uh, understand uh, justification, then why don't you spend three months reading the book of Romans 30 times? I mean, what a glorious, glorious passage of Scripture that you could just read over and over and over and over again and let it saturate deep into your life. Do you want to stand in awe of Jesus, then spend a year just reading the Gospels 30 times over and over and over again? I, I, just whatever you're going to do, let me just say this, in the end, there's no wrong way to read the Bible. Read it. You say, okay, well, how? Okay, have a strategy, have a plan like I just talked about, but then do this. Start with observation. Learn how to look at the pages of Scripture. Say, what do you mean? Here's what you want to be looking for. Look for key words. Look for repeated words. Look for the grammar structure of what's going on there. Look for proper names and places. Learn to observe what you're looking at. You know, some of the greatest Bible students, it's not that they're smarter than anybody else. It's just they've learned how to look. They've learned how to look. They've learned how to observe. So start with observation. Then go to interpretation. You know, two people can look at the same verse but have two, two different interpretations and sometimes there are even contradictions. But let me just tell you this. No two people, are, they're not both correct. I want, to, I want to clarify that. There is only one correct interpretation of Scripture. He said, where would you get that from? Oh, the Bible. 2 Peter 1.20 says, knowing this, knowing this, that, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. So this idea of, well, the way I see it, listen, you might see it that way, but you just have to understand you might be wrong. See, the closer, this is why interpretation is so important. The closer we are to proper interpretation, the better our application is going to be. Again, you can interpret things wrong, and when you interpret it wrong, you apply it wrong. I've got some pictures to show you that. All right, look at this. drive through pharmacy. <laughs> How many think this guy applied that wrong? How about this one? Hey, go, go ahead, show that, Brother Gabe. Happy birthday on both. Some of you will catch that in a minute. <laughs> Somebody looked at that ticket and they interpreted it wrong, didn't they? How about this one? Draw bridge. 
Hey, that guy's a smart aleck. He, he never grew out of seventh grade right there. Right? I mean, how you, it, some of you are like, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> the more accurate our interpretation is, the more accurate our application is going to be. Now, see, somebody could interpret the Scriptures wrong and make a positive application in their life, but really what we want to do is we want to get the interpretation correct so that we can have the most impactful application in our life. I just want to remind you, the conflict is not in the text. The conflict is in our limited understanding of the text. <laughs> guys, guys, understand this. God is not confused about what He said, even if we are. So any seeming contradiction in the Bible is based on our misunderstanding, not his mistake. So the best way to reconcile difficult verses is to start with what seems the most clear and work towards what is the most obscure. That is an amazing, that's amazing hermeneutical principle, a Bible study, is listen, in these things that you're not quite sure about, start with what is abundantly clear and then work to the obscure. Okay, so you have to plan your reading. You start with observation, interpretation, and then we move to application. Sadly, too many people tend to use the Bible in a subjective way that is preferential to them, and that is not the way to use the Bible. You know, I cringe when I, when I hear people make statements, and I know they're not always bad when they say this. I'm sure I've said this. But I cringe when I hear people say, well, this is what this means to me. Because what that does is I think it puts the reader in the position of authority, and that's not where we should be. That's why personally, I know some of you might not agree with what I'm about to say here, but that's why I, I personally don't, don't like um, dialogue in Sunday school classes as much as I do just traditional teaching in Sunday school classes. That's, that's, my, that's my opinion. And the reason for that is a lot of times what happens is the person who has not prepared in the study of the Scripture dominates the conversation. They didn't prepare the lesson, the teacher did. But they're talking about it. And so I feel like this question like, well, this is what this means to me. What's that mean to you? And what's that mean to you? And what's that mean to you? Hey, we should be asking, what did God mean when he said that? That, that, that should be what it is. You see, the Bible is meant to be approached with a spirit of humility. We submit and ask, God, what do you want to teach me? Instead of, well, this is what I think. We ought to come to this book and say, God, I want, I want humility. I want you to show me. I want you to teach me. I want to learn from you. Understand this. There are two objectives anytime God is trying to accomplish through the Bible. God, there are two objectives God is trying to accomplish through the Bible. One, he wants to give us things to know. There are some things he just flat out wants you to know. And then there are some things he wants you to do. We ought to come with open hearts and open eyes and open ears to those things. Now, if somebody's sitting here uncomfortable by what I just said about Sunday school, listen, I ask questions in my Sunday school class all the time, and they don't, they don't say anything. So I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to that, but I'm just saying I, I, I think we, we always need to check our attitude about that. And we ought to come to this book every time and say, God, what is it that you want me to know? Kind of like what we saw this morning in Habakkuk. Well, God, what do you want me to know? I, want to know? I want you to know that I'm great, that he is great. He's big. 
And he has big purposes and big plans. He wants us to know that. Sometimes the text is, what do you want me to do? We, we always want to walk away with that. That's how we can apply the scripture in our life. What is it you want me to know? What is it you want me to do? So tomorrow when you sit down in your quiet place and you read and you have your renewed journal, you might walk away saying, this is what I learned God wants me to know. Maybe you walk away and say, you know what, this is what I need to do today. I need to be thankful today. I need to be kind. Whatever it is that God speaks to you about. Pray the Lord to help you. Let me ask you some questions and we're done tonight. Question number one is this. How well did you do in your Bible reading last year? How well did you do in it? Maybe you're saying, hey, I didn't miss a day. That's awesome. Maybe you can repeat that. Maybe you say, you know what, I missed a few days. Well, that's, that's great. But maybe you can improve a little bit. Maybe you read every day, but you, you realize, hey, I could have read it more carefully. So here's my second question. Could you be more prepared when you read the Bible? Come on now. I think some of us have gotten to the end of our day and gone, oh, I didn't read my Bible. We just grabbed it and rushed through it. Now, to be honest with you, I'd rather you do that than not read it at all. But I think we could all admit, you know, sometimes I could be a little bit more prepared when I read the Bible. Here's the third question. What's your plan? When you sit down to read tomorrow, do you have the plan to observe it, interpret it, apply it? What's your plan? Do you have a plan? Hey, I'm going to read this this pattern throughout the year, how are you going to do that? You know, some people read a little Old Testament, a little New Testament, read some of the Proverbs, read some of the Psalms. They want wisdom, they want praise, they want Bible. Hey, whatever it is, there's no wrong way to do it, but have a plan. And I promise you that if our church will get on board with this, then when we get to the end of this calendar year, I think we'll be able to say, we climbed some higher ground this year. I want you tonight to walk out of this service thankful for the Bible and determined to use the Bible in your life to help you grow spiritually.